Let's pray, and then we'll look at our text, Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 uh, through 12. Uh, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for your word. Lord, as we uh, continue our study through the gospel of Matthew, um, Father, I pray that you would help us uh, to understand, Lord, the text that's before us today. Lord, I thank you for this great sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Lord, that is so profound. Um, I pray, Lord, that you would... Uh, through your spirit, give us insight, Lord, that you would give me clarity of thought as I um, try to expound upon this text. Lord, we turn to you. Uh, we ask that you'd speak to each one of us, and it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets. And Father, we do thank you for your word. We ask that you would help us now. In Christ's good name we pray. Amen. So right off the bat, I'm going to acknowledge it was last night in the afternoon, kind of thinking about the passage, and it dawned on me that today is Father's Day. And we don't necessarily do a lot of holiday-themed messages around here. We kind of, Christmas and Easter are the, probably the two exceptions. But then it dawned on me last night as I'm sort of reflecting and going, oh, tomorrow's Father's Day, and I'm basically going to have to deal with a text that calls all fathers evil. So I'm like, awesome, that's a great moment when you realize, uh, you know, if you then, fathers, <laughs> being evil... So happy Father's Day. <laughs> um, I, I'll deal with this in a little bit. Uh, if, unless I run out of time, then I can kind of fast forward. Um, uh, this section concludes a long section within uh, the Sermon on the Mount. At the very end here, uh, verse 12, the last phrase, it says, this is the law and the prophets. Um, it's sort of the bookend on this part of Jesus' sermon, if we go back to verse uh, or chapter 5, verse 17, you don't have to go there. That verse, when Jesus begins, it says, Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. And as we come to verse 12, he sort of bookends it. For this is the law and the prophets. So everything between those two phrases, Jesus is addressing the proper and correct teaching on the law and the prophets. Uh, by way of review, some of the things that Jesus has covered. Uh, he's covered murder. You've heard it said that murder was this. And Jesus goes on to explain, I say, but if you have anger with your brother, then you've committed murder in your heart. He goes on to say about adultery. He, adultery is this, but I say to you that if you've looked upon a woman with lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. He deals with marriages and oaths that are made. He deals with loving your neighbors, 
uh, practicing your righteousness before men as it relates to giving, praying, fasting, uh, dealing with trusting God for meeting your needs. And now in the last 10 or 12 verses, starting in verse 1 down to verse 12, he deals with relationships. Um, He basically systematically dismantles their religion that they have sort that they constructed based on the Old Testament. They'd taken God's revelation. They had sort of uh, created a way where they made the rules uh, based on mankind. And then they sat on those rules and then they judged one another and they had become ultra critical. Jesus comes and he explains God's intent and the intent and the heart behind the law. And by this time in the sermon, by the time we get to verse 12, those that would have been sitting there listening and to those of us who have been paying attention, by the time you get to this point, you're sort of laid flat with the realization that I'm totally and completely unqualified for the kingdom of heaven. You just end up broken. And as we turn the corner, which I'm not going to do today, we'll do in two weeks. Verses 13 down to verse 27, really then is Jesus' sort of invitation to follow him. Now that he's laid everybody, broken them with the Sermon on the Mount, look at verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who will enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. So he's pointing them to life. He's showing them that they can't make it, that we can't make it on our own. We have no righteousness. And as I've come to this section, there are many people who will handle the Sermon on the Mount as almost um, a collection of Jesus's uh, overall teachings, they'll they'll sort of pick and choose, or not pick and choose, they say that Matthew collected a number of his teachings and sort of laid them out on the Sermon of the Mount and that they're not necessarily all connected to one another. And so, for example, in today's section, they would take, or a lot of people take it, I'm not being critical, I'm just pointing out, and it's easy to do, that verses 7 through 11 would, would sort of be handled individually and they would be held, handled in sort of that Jesus is just teaching about prayer, kind of divorced from the context around it. And then verse 12, affectionately known as the golden rule, would be handled on its own. But I see the Sermon on the Mount as being this masterful teaching that flows, that all of these points are are connected. Um, Chapter 7, verse 1 sort of begins, and verse 12 sort of ends his dealing with human relationships. Um, Let's look at verse 7. I mean, excuse me. See, in order to deal with this, what I'm going to do is I want to sort of take this in reverse order. Verse 1 of chapter 7 is sort of the principle that he's teaching. Verses 2 through 6, he expounds on the principle. We're going to review this a little bit later. Now in verses 7 through 12, the principles found in verse 12 
And it's sort of illustrated above. But it's brilliant where it's placed because it ties to the first six verses. So I'll explain this in a little bit. Um, Let's look at verse 12. In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. For this is the law and the prophets. Um, So it begins two words, in everything. This is totally exhaustive. (laughs) Every... Every facet of your life, every relationship that you have, every person that you encounter. Then there's the word therefore. Some translations exclude the Greek word that's in the text, this therefore. Uh, It's there in the third word, the New American Standard is very literal from the Greek. Uh, I think that the New King James handles it. Um, I, I think the heart, it starts with a therefore. Um, some just don't translate the therefore there. And I think that's because there was sort of how do, how do the, all of these pieces sync together? And the therefore indicates that what he writes in verse 12 is connected to the previous verses. He says, treat people the same way you want to be treated. The golden rule. There's this sort of this positive affirmation of how you're to handle people, you treat people, you, the things that you do to other people, those are things that you want done to you. The first six verses deal with the, when you're dealing with people, don't be critical. And here's sort of an example or teaching the few verses on how we go about not being critical or in our judging, how do we go about this in a way that's honoring? Um, this idea of doing unto others is it's not an uncommon thought in ancient teaching. However, Jesus puts a, a radical spin on it that is so subtle that you could miss it. Jesus is the only one who takes his command and he puts a positive element on it. Um, I could list all sorts of ancient theologians of various faiths. Um, there, there's rabbis, there's multiple that Confucius. Let's start with you know Confucius. What he says that's almost identical and that you could miss how vastly different they are if you just at first glance. Confucius taught this. What you do not want done to yourself, do not do to others. And I could list uh, probably there's probably 15 to 20 other guys that essentially say the same thing. And theirs is a negative. If you don't want it done to you, then don't do that to others. Like, I don't want to be punched in the nose. So I'm going to go around, and I've not punched any of you in the nose so far today. (laughs) The day is young. (laughs) So in loving people, there's an element of not doing something, but if just not doing something doesn't equate to love. And not doing something to other people is not nearly as demanding as the opposite, the affirming, the positive. So it's radically different when Jesus says, do unto others as you want done to yourself. This could be exhaust. I mean, this could be straining. It's been said that Jesus' command here is the ultimate ethic. Um, th- throughout the scriptures, throughout the Old Testament, Jesus later, when he's asked, Can, what, what are the most important commands? And he says, well, to love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your might, and likewise to love your neighbor as yourself. And if you think about the Old Testament, if you think about the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments, first four are loving God with all your heart. 
And if you take the the next six, all of those have to do with loving your neighbor. (laughs) Don't commit adultery. Well, committing adultery, if that's somebody's wife, that's not how you want to be treated. Don't covet your neighbor. Don't steal. Don't murder. These are all things that that are summarized right here. Do unto others as you want to be done to yourself. This has been a crazy week for me. Like I'm battling, like I'm, I think I'm through the head cold right now. Um, my, my life as a pastor, there's, there's times when things are slow, then there's times where it's like just kind of crazy. And this has been one of those weeks. I'm thinking about this text, this verse 12, do unto others as you would like, okay, there's my, my Bible memory. Just, I think I had too many files open. Uh, therefore treat people in the same way you want them to treat you. This week, I've been pondering this, and it's been sort of a demanding week. Um, I've said that the one thing that being a pastor has taught me, like in my years now of being a pastor, I think that God made me a pastor so I'd learn how to be a Christian. Um, Because I'm kind of like in this place, and as I've kind of gone, like I'm not doing things because I'm a pastor, I'm doing them because I'm a Christian, but because I'm a pastor, I'm obligated to function as a Christian. (laughs) So I've got this kind of like lingering over my head. So so it's been great training wheels for me to to learn about what it means to be a follower of Christ. And and so this this week, uh, uh, Rick goes in for surgery on Monday, and he has a second surgery on Wednesday. In the midst of this, a friend of ours or mine from the gym, his wife at 36 weeks, they lose their baby. And I have to do the funeral on Thursday, which means going to meet with them through the week. And then Yolanda, her mom, be praying for Yolanda. Her mom died last, was it, it was last Sunday, right? Two, two weeks ago, and we did the funeral on Friday. And so I ended up, Going to visit Rick in the hospital was no big deal. Then having this funeral for the baby on Thursday, and then Friday morning having another funeral. And I and I'm not saying this to like like I I'm thinking about this do unto others. And as I'm going about my week, just kind of like the the gas tanks running a little bit low. And I found myself as I'm going about this, as I'm thinking about my schedule and what to do or what not to do, if I was in the hospital, what would I want done? And then it's like, well, what does Rick want? Well, I think Rick wants me to go visit him. And if I was Rick, I want me to go visit him too, but I don't want everybody in the church to show up. Some people want, like Miss Pat, she wants everybody in the church to come. It's so much to where the doctors are like, you got to cut off the visitor. She's like having a party here. Like she's going into open heart surgery tomorrow and she's had a hundred people come through. I don't want, I don't want that. And Rick doesn't want that. But if I was Rick, I would want my pastor to come pray with me. So, okay. If my wife miscarried or not miscarried, if the baby had a stillbirth at 36 weeks, I would want a pastor to be available to me. So it sort of, it it changes everything. If how you encounter people, you're asking yourself, how would I want to be treated in this situation? Well, then I want to treat that person in that way. This is totally and completely different than not doing to others what you don't want done to you. 
I cannot do a whole bunch of things. I haven't murdered any one of you guys today. I haven't punched you in the face. I haven't even uh, cussed any of you out. That's super easy. Now, but when I start really thinking about what do I want in my life? How do I want to be treated? And how does that apply to each one of you? Well, suddenly there's, it can be a little bit overwhelming. It can lead to being a little bit drained. To the introverts, it's going to be like a fearful thing. How can I, I only have so much that I have to give. And ultimately, the bottom line is we're so self-focused. If I help this person in this way, well, what about me? I have my own family to care for. I have my own things to take care of. I have my own, well, like, we know how to take care of numero uno. Amen? We all speak enough Spanish to say that. (laughs) But then I look at our example. Somewhere in the midst of driving around, I'm listening to music, and the song Glorious Day came on. And uh, it's this old hymn that they've remixed it. And one of the lines I'm driving sort of pondered is, do unto others. And one of the lines is, dwelt among men, my example is he. Word became flesh and the light shined among us, his glory revealed. And so my example is Christ. And what do we learn from Christ? Well, in Mark 10.45, Jesus says, I didn't come to be served. Here he's the... Creator and sustainer of the universe. The word says that when God spoke, creation existed. Jesus was there. Jesus holds all things together according to Colossians. You have life and breath. He is the King of kings, Lord of lords. And yet when he humbles himself and he comes to earth, he says, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. In John 13, the last Night on earth for him. As the Lord's Supper begins, the Gospel of John spends a huge portion of his Gospel recording this evening. And if I was going to go be murdered tomorrow for everybody's sins in the world, I think I'd go splurge a little. Like, I've never eaten at that like, really expensive steakhouse. I don't even know the name of it. But if, hey, if I'm going to die tomorrow, we're going to Ruth Chris. I'm going to have a little gunner time. <laughs> Maybe if I have enough time to take a flight somewhere fancy, I don't know. But I think if tomorrow I'm going to be like bear the weight of the world's sins, I'm going to be a little, I deserve it, right? But what did Jesus do? He starts the meal by sitting them all down, and then he gets up and he puts a, like a, a, a towel essentially around his waist. And then he goes and he washes each of their feet. This is something that the, the lowest servant would do. This in our like we don't do foot. We don't live in the same culture. This is something that I would liken to changing the bedpan for somebody in the hospital. This is not something that's pleasant. And so Jesus washes their feet, and Peter, I love him. He resists. And then even in his consenting, he then resists. He says, well, not just my feet, but my whole body. Jesus says, Peter, calm down. Like, only your feet are dirty, and I'm going to wash your feet. But then at the end of this section, after he washes all their feet, and he begins to explain to them, in John 13, 34, and 35, Jesus says, a new command I give to you. 
that you love one another even as I have loved you. See, it's subtle. See, we're told to do unto others as we would like them to do to us. But then Jesus says, no, no longer are you the standard. You love people as I have loved you. And so when I read verse 12 this week, in everything, therefore, treat people in the same way that you want them to treat you. This is overwhelming. This, this could be a heavy burden. How in the world am I supposed to do this, Jesus? I don't know that I can do that. And then he says, this is the law and the prophets. So this is kind of important. Like Jesus says, when, when I take the whole of the Old Testament scriptures, and really the, old, the whole of the, script, the, the, the Bible, love God with all your heart and love others. So our relationship with Christ and how we treat others is kind of critical. And I want to help us to see the connection between verse 1 and verse 12 and how verses 7 through 11 sort of fit in there masterfully. Um, If you'll go back to verse 1, I want to do a quick review. So in chapter 7, verse 1, we read, do not judge that you will not be judged. This is the one verse that like everybody in the world knows. Uh, those not of faith will you like they're suddenly they're on the news they're they're have no connection to god but they'll start spouting out thou shall not judge lest thee be judged christians aren't supposed to judge and there's a lot of christians that think that this is what jesus said i'm not gonna there's i'm sure there's a cd somewhere around here you guys can listen to last week's message before i start preaching it over again um the issue isn't necessarily we shouldn't judge. The, the issue is they created this religious system and really the good word is thou should not be, don't be critical. Because in the context from that principle of uh, against criticalness, Jesus goes in to explain that we're called to use discernment. We're called as believers. Verse 2, he says, in the same way you judged. So right away, he's, he's going on that as you judge how you go about things, that's how it's going to be measured to you. So, so how we go about situations, when we're called into a place where we might have to discern or to use a little discipline, we want to use the standard of measurement that we want to be used to us. Then he goes on to say, why do you look at the, the, the speck of dust, literally a piece of sawdust? He said, why do you look at the speck of the sawdust in your brother's eye when you have a, what does it say in the English? It says a log that's in your eye. And it's literally like a huge truss, that you, like, a, a, like a big beam that you would use for a roof. So, so it's this hilarious picture of you have this huge beam and you're trying to assist your brother to get the little piece of sawdust out. And Jesus says, first take out the log out of your eye and then help your brother. So there's still this issue of discernment. First, deal with your own issue. Then once you have your issue dealt with, then you're supposed to help the other person. Then he goes on to say in verse 6, this whole, do not give what is holy to dogs. And dogs are not, you know, your pet dog that you love, that's your house. But these were like dogs that traveled in packs that were ravenous, that were, were you would never give something holy to these dogs. And do not throw your pearls before swine. It says that they'll trample on them and destroy them, and then they'll attack you and kill you when you do. And so if you 
come to this section, by the time you get to the dogs and the pearls of Jesus talking, it's like, how in the world am I to discern this? How? I think I have the log out of my eye, but who am I to like evaluate this motive in my, my brother's life who I love? And I think he has sawdust, but do I really have this? How do I know who the dog, like they call somebody a dog and a pig and don't give, like that, <laughs> who am I? And there's great tension. And MacArthur on this, I love what he has to say in my paraphrase. He says that God gives us enough truth to be responsible, but leaves enough mystery that we're totally and completely dependent on him because ultimately what God wants from us is a profound relationship. God doesn't want us just to have a little flow chart in our back pocket. Okay, here's the situation. Check, check, check. Okay, I got to deal with this person. That's what I want, really. Kind of like it makes... But what God wants is like, we have, enough, we have the truth to be responsible, but then there's so much more that we don't, like we just don't know. And so then we have to call upon him. We need to add, look at verse seven. Look how it transitions. Ask, it will be given to you. Seek and you will find it. Knock and it will be open to you. And this is in the, it's a, a present participle, meaning that it's like this repetitive, be asking, be knocking, be seeking. Be dependent upon God. I don't know if you guys, I'm sure we've all heard the news about the horrible shooting at the church this week. Terrible. I forget what day it was. It might have been, I think it was Friday. My head cold started really catching up with me. And I'm like, I just need to like take some NyQuil, go lay down. I'll turn on the TV and try to like, just sort of like recoup to get ready for Sunday. (laughs) And when I turned on the TV, the news came on. And it was that the, the shooter was now in court. And the family members started speaking to this guy. You guys hear this? Well, if you didn't, I'm going to read a couple of them to you. I tell you, I am so in awe of our brothers and sisters in Christ. These are beautiful. So Anthony Thompson, representing the family of Myra Thompson, he says this to the shooter who, like 24 hours earlier, this guy killed his family member in cold blood. And listen to his words. He says, I forgive you and my family forgives you. We would like you to take this opportunity to repent, repent, confess, give your life to the one who matters most, Christ, so that he can change your ways no matter what happens to you and you'll be okay. Do that and you'll be better off than you are right now. Powerful. And I'm really going to guard myself from like expounding on this, but, but in this response, it's the, the wisdom, this forgiveness, this, he, said, he, he doesn't say that there's not going to be consequence. If the government functions as God has designed it, there's like one purpose that I see in all of the Bible. And it's Romans 13, 3 through 4. That if there's evil, the government has an obligation to be God's avenger and to basically deal with the evil. And I love this. This person, he's saying this, trusting, no matter what happens to you, meaning like if you get the death penalty, like if you get right with God, then you'll be okay. 24 hours after 
Then this uh, Tawanza Sanders' mother, Felicia Sanders, I'm not sure if she was there. I'm not sure if this was the one that was there that was released. But she said this, We welcomed you Wednesday night in our Bible study with open arms. You've killed some of the most beautifulest people that I know. Every fiber in my body hurts, and I will never be the same. Tawanza was my hero. But they say in the Bible study, but as they say in the Bible study, we enjoyed you. But may God have mercy on your soul. And I think that their response, these are, I am so proud to call those people my brother and sisters in Christ. We need to be praying for them. But I'm listening to them like in tears, like I'm trying to lay down to relax and I'm like moved to tears thinking, how did they have that poise? How did they have that wisdom? How, how were they able to like manifest so much love and graciousness 24 hours after this, then to stand in the courtroom and to say these words? And I can't help but to think of the first six verses of Matthew 7, or 6, yeah, Matthew 7, verses 1 through 6. This tension, I'm sure that there was great turmoil. They're in pain, they're hurting. And I can't imagine that the prayers that they prayed. But I do know that our brothers in the black Baptist churches, they can pray. I always said if I wasn't a pastor, I'd be attending a black church. Like we used to take field trips to Bayview Baptist and it was awesome. And and see, this whole verse 7 See, we get off track. See, people will take this and go, oh, God's just given us a blank check to heaven that's signed. Ask, it'll be given to you. Seek, and you'll find it. Knock, and it'll be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And he who knocks, open. It's totally out of context. This is the first six verses of chapter 7 require so much wisdom and so much discernment And if we're honest with who we are, we understand that we are totally incapable to do what Jesus is asking us to do in the verses 1 through 6. And so this this beautiful spot, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and he him who knocks it will be opened. Like James, if any of you lacks wisdom, ask and it will be given to you. There's this, there's this clinging to God. And then now we come to verse 12. Like I, uh, the verse 12 where we left us on the second part. In everything, therefore, treat people in the same way you want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets. Uh, I began to explain the difficulty in this. Like, how do we truly do this? Like if we take this so far, let, I have food. I see a brother who has nothing. Do unto others as you don't want to be done to yourself. Like, or you, you guys know it. I don't have to hack it up here. I say, if I was that guy, I would want me to give me some of his food. And so I can give him some of my food, but in my flesh, what I'm saying is I have an obligation to my family. I, have an, I, can't, I can't take care of the whole world. I can't take care of all you. Like I, I have my responsibilities. 
But Jesus gives this instruction flowing out of this beautiful truth in verses 9 through 11. He says, Or what man is there among you who has a son to ask for a loaf? Will you give him a stone? Their bread it looked very similar to the stones that you could find on the Sea of Galilee. This is like a, your son says, Hey, Dad, can I get some bread? And you hand your kid a, a, a rock that looks like bread. He said, no, Nobody would do that. Or if he asks for a fish, will he not give him a snake, will he? And don't, don't think we're talking about a, you know, my mind, or maybe it's just me. I go from thinking, oh, your kid asked for a fish, and then you give him this serpent that, like, bites him in the face. You know, like, we, uh, we live in Valley Center. We don't like our rattlesnakes. We don't like any of this. But, but, but the idea here is not necessarily a live uh, a snake that will bite you. We're thinking cooked meat. And so the issue here is a fish was clean meat, a, a, a serpent or a snake would be defiled meat that they would not. So, so the issue is sort of defilement. Or if he asks for a fish, will he knock him a snake? Will he? If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven and give what is good to those who ask him? And so the point isn't to bash dads. Like Jesus isn't saying that all, all dads are evil. But, but we who are human, we have a tendency to, to, to measure ourselves against other humans. And so you think, oh, I'm a really good dad because I can look at other people. Or you say, I'm a really bad dad based on like other human comparisons. But, but see, the standard is never other humans. The standard is God. And so when God looks at us and how we parent and how we father he says, well, even you can do good, but ultimately you're just evil. Like you're selfish. Every, your fiber, you are a fallen human being. Even in Christ, you're now a sinner who's been saved. You're not sin-free now that you're a Christian. And so God, seeing that you and your sinfulness could still do good to your children, he says the point is how much more will a loving God who loves you, who created you, who formed you before the world even knew you existed, God wants to take care of you. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask Him? God is all-powerful, almighty, sovereign, in control, There's nothing that slips by him. We can trust him. Our father who art in heaven, he is distinct from us. It goes and give us our daily bread that we depend upon him for sustenance. And from this great truth, we move into verse 12. In everything, therefore, because of this great truth of who God is, The reality that God will care for you. The reality that God loves you. He knows your needs. Treat people in the same way you want them to treat you. And I think ultimately what what Christ is challenging us to do, that as we pour out our lives, as we do unto others, as we give of ourselves, we can trust Him to replenish us. That as we give, we can trust Him. It really is beautiful. He says, for this is the law and the prophets. 
first, love God. And then out of that love for God, then you can love others. And if we don't have a right relationship with God, there's no, there's no way to have a right relationship with other people. Um, sure, there are, there are people who don't know God who do great things, but I would probably suggest that their motives aren't correct because the word says that. And when I look at this, another song, I, f- I found I was listening to a lot of music, which is rare this week. Uh, another song, I know we sing this song here. I have no idea what the name of the song is. But I was driving, feeling drained. And this song goes, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. My one defense, my righteousness, meaning his. Oh, God, how I need you. So if we're to treat people the way God wants us to treat, we need him. He needs, like, if we're to succeed, if we're going to honor him, it it totally requires that we're completely dependent upon him. That we're seeking him. That as we're engaging with people in our lives, you can engage and have conversation and meet people and be praying simultaneously. And I love that from this, Jesus is going to call us to himself. Enter through the narrow gate. Come to me. And Father, we do thank you. We praise you, Lord. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your sustenance. We thank you, Lord, um, that you give us wisdom as we ask. Father, I pray that as we navigate uh, the relationships in this life, we pray that you would, Lord, help us to honor you and the things that we don't do to others and the way that we do treat others. Father, we pray that we would be pleasing to you in all things. And we know that the only way that we can accomplish this is by abiding in Christ, by leaning on him, seeking him for wisdom, seeking him for guidance. Lord, lead us in this life. We thank you, Lord. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen.